Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, an unofficial podcast on the FX television series. Fargo Talks Fargo is hosted by me, Bill, and my buddy Sharpie, who's drinking a beer. Heyo! This season of Fargo <laughs> Talks Fargo is sponsored by Fargo Brewing and their Wood Chipper IPA. See what we did there? It's a wood chipper. It's Fargo. Hey, check it out at FargoBrewing.com. <laughs> Every week, these reads get more interesting. Also, today's podcast brought to you by Audible.com. Check out audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo. Sign up for a free trial. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And we make recommendations every week for fantastic Audible books that you can get. Boom. Sharpie. Boom. Week six. Week six. International show coming on up. We've got Carmela with us again this season. Carmela, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm well. How are you guys? Cool. You're as well as you can be. You don't have to lie. You don't have to lie to everybody that you're a little under the weather. (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay. Um, Yeah, just my voice might be a bit croaky. That's all. So wait, are you? Because I make terrible jokes in the show. You're technically down under the weather. Oh, Oh, God, Sharpie! (laughs) Only everybody could see Sharpie's face when I said that. So joining us live from Melbourne, which is so it's I'm doing the math right now. It's eight o'clock here for me. It's seven o'clock for Sharpie. So for you, is this 1 o'clock, 1 p.m. in the afternoon? Yes. So if you weren't sick, you could maybe get kind of day drunk with us or no? <laughs> um, if I wasn't sick, I'd probably be at work. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, that. Well, don't tell anyone you're on this show. This is why it's all kind of fortunate that I'm sick because it means I don't, I'm not at work. Well, thank, thanks for going ahead and getting sick so you can appear on the show we really appreciate it yeah. we, we loved having you on last season and thank um, you so for those that don't know tell us a little bit about you you run a tumblr blog all about fx's fargo so l- give us a little scoop on what's going on this this year and how you started it and everything so everybody can know yeah um i guess we started the blog last year um with the start with the um first series um uh there's a big contingent on Tumblr of Martin Freeman fans who, when they got wind of um, hearing about him being cast in the first series of Fargo, um, you know, we we thought we might get together and um, I, I got together with a few people who were also on Tumblr and thought, you know, why don't we start a Fargo blog? Because um, mm-hmm. we, were, we, were, we were interested in him and his role in it. We were also interested in the show as well, obviously. Um and knowing Fargo the film and just being really intrigued at the concept of a, um, you know, a remake in a TV form of the, um, of the film. So we got to starting the blog from there and we're um, chugging along in season two. Um, I've had a couple of my collaborators, you know, not be able to help out this time around, but we're still chugging along with our, with our blog. Yeah. Um, so you're most welcome to check us out on fxfargo um, at tumblr.com. And, yeah, it's um, been an interesting second season. Yeah, and so and yeah. you're, also, you're also on, you're the just almost reverse on Twitter of the actual official, because officially at, at Fargo FX is the TV show, and you're FX Fargo on Twitter. Yes, I imagine where the handle that they would have liked to have been. I think that would have been consistent with their other TV shows. Um, but I don't know. We <laughs> we must have gotten this idea a whole lot earlier than their um, social media people did. So we got a hold of the um, of the handle of both the Twitter 
and the Tumblr handles before they got a hold of them. So um, you got those well in advance, though. They should reach out mm-hmm. and uh, offer you some cash for those. Yeah. Well, if they, yeah, I mean, perhaps if they'd like to, to have them, we'd be happy to we'd be happy to talk <laughs> <laughs> and negotiate. <laughs> Well, let's get let's get into episode six, uh, rhinoceros, and like like sometimes we tend to mention two minutes after we give you a huge spoiler. If you haven't seen the show, you should stop listening because we're about to ruin everything for you. Not just mm-hmm. by telling you what's happening on the show, but by listening to us ramble about this stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Um, rhinoceros, Sharpie. We had mentioned in the hot dish. Oh, I'm. You know what? I'm just going to open with this. Okay. I I said it on Twitter already with a typo, of course. We're so sorry. We did not catch Man of Constant Sorrow because we were both doing the same thing instead of listening like the dicks we are. (laughs) We're too busy saying things to our phone like, hey, Siri, what song is this? So instead of listening, I'm trying to get my Siri to help me tell what the song is. But yes, it was I'm a Man of Constant Sorrow. It was a remake. And some people haven't mentioned it, but it's actually a remake by Blitz and Trapper. And I'm going to let the cat out of the bag briefly on this that I hope all the stars line up, but Maggie Phillips, who's the music supervisor for the show, uh, is in a chat with us, and we're hoping to record a special episode with Maggie uh, soon so we get to talk about all the covers they're doing and all the fantastic fucking music they've been picking for this season. So, so sorry. We missed it because we were cheating, trying to let our phone tell us what song it was, which never would happen because that song doesn't exist except for on TV show Fargo, I think. (laughs) Boom. There. So... Sharpie, you said it was like- there. You said it was Blitz and Trapper's first cover ever. No, no, no. I, 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 I got the, I got the, I got the vibe from Maggie that because I told her we got kind of raked over the coals on Twitter and we got a few emails from uh, Ruben wants to revoke our um, our Cohen brother card <laughs> for missing that. Um, can I throw a Sharpie under the bus and that you haven't actually seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yes, you can throw me under the bus oh. for that. <laughs> yeah, Steve Carmel is like. Dude, I have never actually seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Because, <laughs> yeah, I knew that song. Like, as soon as I played it, I was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. Yeah, we fucking missed it. <laughs> so, because I haven't seen it, even though you're calling it throwing me under the bus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself a pass on that one. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll own that. I'll own that. So, you get a pass. <laughs> you get a pass. I, Although, you can I, still revoke my Cohen card because I have For not seen having it. seen it. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. so. So that said, and, and I should know that movie really well because it's actually one of my favorite Coen Brother movies. And I was in a real tight spot, and it was actually a gift for my birthday that uh, on VHS tape, by the way, not <laughs> DVD, yeah. from my wife for my birthday one year. Because you're a so firm anyway, believer in VHS. Yeah, well, Betamax you know, like finally bit the dust. You got a lot of pieces. So Rhinoceros, and um, Sharpie's been running us down through a different show rundown, so I just I, I feel uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to let you run the show, and Carmel and I will interject and call you an idiot yeah. where where meaningful. Sure. So rather going through the show chronologically, what I like to do is find like two to three major themes, and then talk about those themes uh, specifically. So for tonight's episode, I would like I think one big theme is Carl Weathers, uh, you know, and that revolves around the rhinoceros uh, show title. I think mm-hmm. another big theme um, of the night is Peggy Blumquist. I think she's really got some some stuff that she's shining on there tonight. And I think the other theme is the continual one, which has always been Gerhardt's versus Kansas City. I like what you're putting down. I'm smelling what you're stepping in. 
Yeah, so the episode is called Rhinoceros. And Rhinoceros, uh, for those that don't know, is a play. Um, now that we've had time to like do our actual research, um, and thanks to the Twitter community too, because we, we threw that out there on a hot dish to, hey, tell us what uh, the Rhinoceros is, is referencing, and instantly we got um, a bunch of great feedback. So turns out everyone's smarter than we are. <laughs> so You're it's a play. It's also it a, a movie from. Well, the movie was based on the play. Uh, movie was I think like 1970s, 1973 or something, um, mm-hmm. with uh, Dean Wilder. And it is about basically it's three acts. In the in the first act, there's this main character Beringer, and he's got this friend Jean, and they're having an argument, and all of a sudden their argument is disrupted by a rhinoceros basically stampeding through the scene, which is crazy, right? Because the the place takes place in France, so it's like what the heck just happened? The second act, we're we're learning that people are turning into uh, rhinoceroses. Humans are turning into rhinoceroses, and the town's like got rhinoceritis or something like that (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like it's like a plague taking over the town but this main character this like sort of drunken somewhat belligerent but joking um character behringer he's the only one that's not turning into a rhinoceros Mm -hmm. and more and more people are and he just refuses to believe that you have to turn into a rhinoceros while more and more of his friends and bosses and colleagues are turning into rhinoceros and thinking that you know, maybe rhinoceros have just as much of a right to be here as people do, and they basically start conforming. And the, as soon as people start turning over and and wanting to understand the rhinoceros, they turn into a rhinoceros. And meanwhile, Beringer is like, "What are you guys doing? This is crazy." Uh, and anyway, in the in the third act, he's like, "Everybody's a rhinoceros but him," and he finally confides and says, "All right, I want to be a rhinoceros now." But even when he's trying he can't really turn into a rhinoceros. So it kind of ends that way. So what I think, we have this great expose of Carl Weathers. I mean, he's always been there for a good, solid joke. Uh, Carl, he's, he's Yeah, this is his first chance to not just be a one-liner about the dump he's taking. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, I think he clearly, st- he stole the show. I mean, Peggy, Peggy may ha- Peggy's performance was pretty great as well but i think people are going to gravitate towards the carl weathers performance by nick offerman i think that the way he portrayed because throughout the entire episode he's sort of this drunken somewhat belligerent anti-establishment guy so what i think the rhinoceros is i think what the play is the the play on the the play on the play i guess you'd say is that Mm. carl weathers is behringer in rhinoceros and he is so because he's so like anti-conformity and anti-establishment mm-hmm. um, throughout the entire episode. I mean, this is where his most colorful language comes from. Um, the only, I think, sure. Mike Milligan probably has the only rivalry, like the only rivaling language uh, because he's got all this poetic uh, verses and things like that. And I think... This is the first time Carl Weathers, we've seen this much of Carl Weathers, and I think his talk is just absolutely amazing, and it's clearly a opposite what everybody else is behaving like in sure. the show. Yeah, and I mean, there's, I don't exactly remember what it was he said. Sorry, I, I, I didn't put this in a note, but there was, there was some talk, too, where it's almost like post, he, he's, a, he's a Korean War vet, I believe, and there's, there's this 
stuff that he's he's even saying that since he's come back from the war, it's everything. It, you know, that's the change, I think, for him a little bit. You know what I mean? Like that's sure. when things that's when things turned on their head for him, and he was he's he's di- everyone's different. He you know they don't know the things he knows and stuff. But I. I do like I do like everything about. Uh, I Carl. think he was so fun this episode. I think his language, uh, was just kind of intoxicating as as the character was. I mean, it was so fun <laughs> to just you just kind of wanted to be around him all night and like hang out at the Legion. He's like he's like a remarkably articulate drunk. Yeah, he yes. is. I mean, don't you think Carmelo? Like, even at his most like. Yeah, it was in, tremendous. Intoxicated moments, he's gonna yeah. have a nugget of awesome in with something that's borderline crass, right? Yeah. Well, even it didn't. I know that there was some vested interest, I suppose, with Lou dragging him in as to represent um, the boy. I've forgotten his name. Um, Char- Charlie. Charlie. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was funny how he, you know, he was quite clearly. Lotto, um, and yet um, Lou was like, "Yeah, well, you got to come in and represent this kid." Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he was even even though he's like totally inebriated, he was still able to 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 follow at least in a basic sense, like <laughs> his procedures. He was able to click into his memory of like being, you know, being a lawyer and and the things he has to think about and the things you know trying to protect that kid's right the, the that kid's rights even though you know he's totally off his face um that was really kind of admirable even though he thinks ed is a bit of a blockhead and a doof he at its core understands that e- even lose somebody who he likes could have been yeah. wrong and and the government's watching you know with the way he shakes his head and winks and, and, and you know and you know say yes if you understand me kind of stuff yeah. i just realized i was saying that while i shook my head no uh, and only <laughs> and the i've just two- realized i've talked about it in relation to ed even though i'd mentioned he'd represented charlie yeah that's, that's okay well he does he representing both but he, but he does represent them mm-hmm. both that's how mm-hmm. it ends up playing out so that's an easy confusion to make because in the end he's the only lawyer in town and uh, it, it's a one-man show <laughs> for Carl, for for Carl Weathers, <laughs> I don't know how that's supposed to work in terms of due process, but because <laughs> yeah. he's representing competing parties in a sense, he's representing the guy who tried to kill him and the the guy who was going to be killed. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I didn't even. That's like a well, you know, we talk about the um the girl who's reading Camus. That's a very kind of existential. <laughs> situation to be placed in philosophically i finally caught that the we we brought it up in the hot dish um that mm. scene in the station when they first brought ed in yeah. that i didn't realize that um a, 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 upon a rewatch i realized that noreen lived above the butcher shop her place burned down and that she's an emancipated yeah. she's an emancipated teen and I, yeah. a little bit of me still wants the backstory on good old Noreen, who seems to yeah. love her Albert Camus and Sisyphus. Um, I don't think mm. we're going to get that. I just think she's it's she's just an interesting byline to a tragic story. That's a whole interesting interaction there uh, when we do learn that between Lou and Betsy. Um, 
there's there's quite a few things going on the the interaction is very quick um it's only like a couple minutes long but are you saying you want me to play that one yeah maybe we should play that one it's um so we have a couple different things going on here we have first of all a big lebowski reference uh with the men in black pajamas um which we can maybe pull that too um so we have a big Lebowski reference where Lou is talking to Betsy about his wife and they're talking about Vietnam and, and Lou's just kind of brushing her off and saying, you know, the, talking about the men in black pajamas and maybe it would have been better if they're, if a bunch of women were in charge and she's, or maybe Betsy, Betsy brings that up. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So we have the big Lebowski reference. We have the, maybe things would be better if women were in charge, which I don't know because we've got some women in this series that are making some pretty awful decisions. Not that the men aren't too, uh, but if you, if you look at like what Simone's doing and what Peg's doing, I'm not sure things would have been that much better. Yeah, I guess it's interesting though, because I mean, I I think of the female leaders in the series because that's, um, that's what she's aiming at in, in that conversation. And you look at Floyd and herself, that they're both, very good heads on their shoulders and as she says you know you imagine the war would have turned out would have turned out quite differently if you had the mums trying to approach it from the point of view of you know you know talking about it from the point of view of losing sons sure Mm -hmm. well here let's let's uh let's take let's take a quick listen to that about the fire you okay you didn't have to come down mrs silverson ed worried about you I love the pleasantries there. Feels like Ed. the tap might just spin right off the globe these days and take you along with it. What's that for? <laughs> I'm just imagining you parachuting into the Mekon Delta, telling the black pajamas to leave your husband alone. Shoulda. Coulda saved a lot of lives if wives and mothers from both sides came and dragged their full men home by the ear. Anything I can do to help this mess? Ah, uh, yeah, you can uh, take Noreen home with you. Her place burned down with a shop, and we both know she's just a kid, emancipated or not. Mm. Noreen. Hey, Ed. I told him what you said. Quiet now, both of you. Come home soon. We both know that's not likely. Okay, so I have to say immediately, and I should have wrote it down. It was either Entertainment Weekly or somewhere else where... The thing that's interesting is that you brought this up, Sharpie, and you pointed this out in the show notes. But I feel like this, and I agree with what I read where, and I apologize for not having it, I can try to put it in show notes, is that that was the conversation that felt the most movie, like, script-like. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think a Midwestern woman in the late 70s would say that it feels like a top is going to spin off the globe and the parachute i mean i i get it it's it, it all makes for beautiful um it makes for a be- like a really cool thing but i'm not, i'm not sure it's as funny yeah i i just thought that that whole interaction was awesome because it brought in a big lebowski reference it brought in women being in charge and it brought in that little interesting fact about noreen that she's an emancipated youth and her house just burned down and now she's like completely alone in this world i think the thing i thought about just now was that uh and you feel free to chime in after uh, or with this uh, carmela is that it makes me oh. wonder if it's just one more woman taking control of her own life in the series you've got oh. you've got floyd taking control of her family you've got peg attempting to take control of 
quote-unquote prison museum she's living in. You've got Simone Mm. attempting to take control of her sexuality and who she is and who her quote-unquote daddy is. And then you've got Noreen, who's actually a, a bit player, but interestingly enough, a girl who has emancipated herself from her parents to do her own thing and live her own life. Well, I think even with her parents present, the fact that she's reading stuff like Camus and, you know, reading that, you know, kind of philosophical stuff, um, I think she's emancipating herself, yes, in that literal sense, I guess circumstances have made her even more emancipated, but I feel like she was also emancipated to begin with. I think it's like a a generational thing as well um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that a lot of the women we're talking about Aside from Floyd, who in her own way, she is she is taking control though and she has a very kind of um, a contemporary outlook in terms of how she sees women as well. But all of them have that, um, they do have that sense of wanting to take control of their lives and I think that's part of the, I guess, what Noah Hawley's aiming at in terms of looking at that time period and where women sat. Um, yeah, exactly. The, the civil the, you know, the um, civil rights movement and so on, um, that was something, I guess it took a while to spread to smaller smaller town existence. I know that, you know, it goes for anywhere in the world really. But, right. yeah, um, with Noreen, yeah, I feel like she was already kind of emancipating herself. She's emancipating herself intellectually through her education. I mean, how often would you hear kids in that time talking about death and going, yeah, life is useless. <laughs> no, you you wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. imagine you'd hear many more small town kids, you know, talking in that fashion before that time period. Right. You know, and so, so since we're on this topic, I, I I think this is a good idea chance for us to talk. Because I mean, seeing as we've been somewhat in order, somewhat out of order, the way we talk about the show in the last three or three episodes here. So we're talking about the changes. Uh, and the visualization and of what these women want for their lives. So I, I feel like this is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about Peggy um, and and how interesting the situation was that we finally get to later on. I mean, obviously, we get the whole... Um, I don't... Oh, hold on. Did, I think I wrote it down. I, I got to say it. Um, she, she's, she wrote, it's unprovable. It's unprovable as they're hauling it away. Mm-hmm. But that, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's the crux or the heart of the matter um, when we talk about one of the themes, so you know, Sharpie had said we talk about Carl Weathers, we talk about Peggy, and then there's Gerhardt's Kansas City. But thinking about Peggy for a moment, I think that um, a for me, Carl Weathers took the show super, super close second. Even though I think she had less screen time, was Kirsten Dunst in Peggy for this episode because her face and inflection and tone. And like the things she did with her face and her eyes, the way she talked about stuff, for me, the second viewing was like twenty times, twenty times better um, about what was going on. And um, yeah, she's sure, yeah. Go I ahead, just Charmy. completely agree. Um, it wasn't until I watched the show the second time through that I was kind of taken aback by her performance. I thought it was really awesome. I thought it was her best performance of Peggy um, the entire season. The way when you mention her face, Bill, if you if you go back and and you have the ability to record it or you you've purchased the show, um, in some form or another, just go back and watch her expressions while mm-hmm. she's talking, um, to Hank Larson, and it is 
it's really it's really uh i don't know what the correct word the word correct word to describe it but it it's really um powerful the way she's portraying peggy and i i was just i was really stunned by it on my second watch she's certainly not dissuaded by authority figures in any way shape or form right and i think that's like so crazy and i mean somewhat impressive and somewhat naive but she has she just doesn't have the she just doesn't want to hear it from hank larson the fact that he's really trying to drive into her in the nicest most calm like gentle way that she's in (laughs) she's in big trouble (laughs) and and she just refuses to believe that and refuses to accept it until and i I still don't think she does but uh, eventually hank's like look we're coming over with a forensic team and we're going to look for blood in your car. I and Sorry, keep going, Sharpie. No, go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say was what I also realized too and the more we talk about it, and that's what I love about doing the show sometimes is that we it's it's no secret we talked before the show and stuff, but even when we have it. So I, just, I really just realized that the way she talks that both she and Ed are completely different in their goals in life, but they're personalities and attitudes are the same they both feel victimized they both feel like they're just trying to live their dream and people are getting in their way so that i think that's what makes me think they're that what attracts them to each other and why they're together because he's like i i I don't know what you're talking about i'm just gonna you know they both have like a very jerry lundegaard manner of speaking and like dealing with somebody putting facts in their face about how fucking dumb they were about something they're like well yeah i gotta gear hard my windshield but you know what do you want me to do i'm not living in a vacuum and right etc etc and and i think that even ed is like there's a guy with a cleaver in his head and he's like well you know but i gotta protect my you know he doesn't want to they don't want to talk about the things you're talking about they want to talk about what's like happening in their head and why they're doing what they do but but peggy i i do have to say real quick because then i think we should play this clip too and i would love to hear Carmela's reaction to this is that uh, we talked once about Simone having and, and I'm sorry to keep beating this dead horse people but I I don't think these colors on the show are by accident there is blue there's an orangish red and there's yellow and we already had an episode where Simone was really mixed up and there's a lot of stuff going on and her dress had all those colors right Shar- I mean Sharpie mm-hmm. I know you agreed with that and I don't know uh, Carmela have you noticed that the, like the, the color mm. thing happening yes and now, mm-hmm. upon further review, it's much more mixed up and in smaller patterns. But if you look mm-hmm. at this scene, if you go literally, if you've bought the show, go to thirteen thirteen, where we're about to start a clip. Peggy is covered in blue, orangish red rust, and yellow splotchy colors on her thing. Like she is, and it's literally like these are women mixed up in the middle of this mess, trying to make sense of it, and. And in it, she's just completely in den- denial about what is happening to her. So if it's okay, I'm going to play this this clip uh, from Peggy and Hank talking in the kitchen mm-hmm. after Ed has been hauled away. Yeah, and this is just the very, very beginning of their conversation. She's got uh, quite a bit of awesome stuff in this whole scene. Oh, yeah. The, the whole thing is well worthy of like a rewatch, you know, if that's yeah. your thing. Not even. Uh, disconnected. By the way before I play the rest. <laughs> I love the fact that she's like, 
you're here, you can't sit there, don't do that. And all, the best you're going to get is me rewarming up yesterday's coffee in a copper bottom pot. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, that passive aggressiveness, that was really you know, Well, it's, it's, it, it, you're exactly right. It's passive aggressive. And at the same time, <laughs> it's hospitality. <laughs> like I don't have, I ain't going to make you shit because all I, I've got some hamburger helper that I make for my husband. That's as deep as I go on that. And I'm not trying to suggest women should cook for their husbands. I'm saying she mm, yeah. it's the it's I'm saying she's into the quick answer because she wants to get back to her daydreams and the things that she wants for herself. So anyway, I'll finish mm. this. Yeah. Him with the shop and, and me just trying to actualize fully, you know. Be the best me I can be because these are modern times, you know, and a woman, well, she just doesn't have to be a wife and a mother no more. She can be there's nothing she can't be. You're a little touched, aren't you? <laughs> that will that that was the Carl Weathers line of the night produced by Hank. You're a little touched, aren't you? She can you can there's just there's just nothing she can't be. That's her that's why I like that clip, is because she's just that's her refusal to deny like what's going or re, re, refusal to accept what's going on around her. Absolutely. I think yeah. so. Do you Carmela, do you agree? Like that she's just there's no message that can get in the way of what she needs. No, no. I mean, he's flat out told her that he, you know, they're in they're, that they're in trouble. Um, and if that's for the, not for gonna... the, and it's basically the second time an officer of the law has delivered them the message of yeah, you you're going to be killed. Are scr- well, not only yeah, you're exactly. <laughs> you said way. I was about to use the f word because that's what I do, but Carmel is much more succinct than me. Um, yeah, you're right. They're, they're screwed. They're going to get killed or otherwise. Yeah. Ugh. They just can't, neither of them can see it. Actually, that's, ooh. Oh. They both have dreams that they can't see past, right? That's another thing they have in common. Ed can't see past babies and a meat shop. She can't <laughs> see past California and, and fully actualizing herself. That's what? it. They, that's, that's their commonality is that is yeah. their unwavering dedication to the dream they hold true of the life they want to make for themselves, which, crazy enough, has nothing to do with each other. Yeah. I wonder as well, like, that seems to be a theme of the show as well. I mean, there's a lot of characters on the show that seem to have very kind of, I guess, idealized dreams or wishes, you know, um, that they want to pursue. And that there's, like, this sense of... um, they can't fulfill that in reality, the way things are changing. And I wonder whether, you know, there's this um, sense of um, them them doing that as a coping mechanism to cope with the fear of the unknown and the changes that are occurring in society during that time. That You know, people are clinging, you know, there's that sense of nostalgia of clinging on to your dreams and your wishes despite, you know, despite what's going on around you. And I'm wondering whether... What's happening in Fargo is like an allegorical kind of allude, alluding to that that sense of, you know, not being able to cope with change, whether it's Lou and his wife and her dying of cancer or whether it is Peggy and her dreams of going to California. Um, yeah, it's just it's really interesting. I love how they've got these kind of, um, you know, you've got these situations but they're kind of allegorically kind of referring to bigger picture stuff historically that Noah's talked about. I find that really interesting. (laughs) 
let me let me interrupt this incredibly like awesome moment to talk about beer. <laughs> no, I I can't Classic make a joke Fargo, about that. Bill. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Well, no, I I cannot. I cannot be more honest about this though because um, Fargo Brewing it has, has stepped up to be the sponsored, you know, uh, uh, for another season. And I keep saying the same thing week over week. And I I was thinking before the show, what do I want to say about it? But here's here's the real deal: is that um. There's a lot of craft beer out there. There's a lot going on. Fargo is a fantastic community and it's growing. Um, but the guy, the four guys that started Fargo Brewing couldn't be nicer people, genuine, and, and have more heart for what they're trying to do than, than those. I mean, there are other craft brewers here that also have a lot of heart and stuff, and we're, we're friends with all those guys. Um, but, but the four guys that started Fargo Brewing, and go to FargoBrewing.com, and you can see more about the story. There's two guys, two different groups of guys, two and two that ended up pairing up to make Fargo Brewing happen. And I can't think of a bigger success story of, of our local area for doing this kind of thing. And I'm, I'm not trying to be sappy or weird. I don't have to like their beer. I just actually do. I, I love drinking it. And, and I'm just so excited that they step up and help with the show. And so the only way we can repay that is to tell you to go to FargoBrewing.com and check their stuff out. Raise their web traffic. That'll they'll be like, wow, we see these weird spikes when you guys talk about us. Um, the other side of that coin is to if you live in the Midwest, which Carmela, you definitely don't. I don't Sorry. know how to. Yeah, I don't know how to mail you beer legally. <laughs> if I could, I would, because I don't know, or maybe you're not a beer drinker. Um, no, I'm more of a wine person. Sorry. Wine. Well, we've got a winery here as well. So let me <laughs> let me check into flights, and we'll get you up here. Um, but for real, Fargo Brewing is fantastic. So if you if you can go into a place and order their beer, I'm I'm actually headed back to South Dakota again mm. in like a week. Yeah. And uh, last time I was there, I was at a great place Sharpie uh, recommended I go to called the Independent Ale House. Um, uh, one of the guys there, like two days before I was there, one of the the owners of Fargo Brewing was in Rapid City, which is basically out by Wyoming, which is way across a flipping state, and they were out there peddling their beer doing their thing so that's what i'm going to tell you to do is check it out if you're in the tri-state region go to fargobrewing.com look up where you can do it and the best thing you can do is either go there order the beer check it out or come to fargo buy a t-shirt <laughs> and do that we thank them so much for their support that that's a that seems like a good sponsor read oh and wood chipper ipa that's the thing because you know there's a there's a play on fargo there yeah wood chipper is the official beer of the fargo podcast good read bill Come to Fargo and buy a t-shirt. <laughs> and by read, you mean just random rant. exposition. Yeah, rant. So, okay, that said, Sharpie, where would you... Or, or wait, I'm sorry, Carmela was... Well, I don't even know if I can get her to come back to that after I just talked about beer and... I've just realized we've totally wandered off the rant with... Um, we're meant to talk about what rhinoceros is. The whole that rhinoceros symbolism and then we just wandered off. <laughs> I don't know if we necessarily wandered off. Um, Sharpie and I have had conversations about, like, we go really deep dive sometimes on what the, sh- the what the show title means and what it does, and other times we have moments where we're just re- we're just like really enjoying the show on its own. And yeah. I don't know if you always need to know those things, but obviously, people who are listening to a podcast mm-hmm. where we break this down, they're they're looking for a little extra. Um, yeah. But I think I think Sharpie somewhat nailed what we're looking for in the rhinoceros that I, I feel it's Carl. Um, mm. But I do think this show is very pivotal in Carl Weathers and Peggy and the, the Gerhardt's Kansas city and the people involved in that. So I'm not sure where we want to 
take section two of the show. Well, I just thought that the whole rhinoceros thing was um, basically the theme of Carl Weathers being this not really belligerent, but, you know, colorful character in the episode as Behringer was in Rhinoceros. And the only one who's sort of, he's, he's just, he's not accepting of what's going around him. Not, not, not in the sense like Peggy is, but in a sense, he's like very anti-establishment, even though like Lou's a friend of his, um, even when Lou like slightly touches him in the sheriff's, in the police station and he, and Carl just like swats him off. Like, no, you're part of the man. You're part of the, what's trying to take me down and I will not have any of this. And I thought that that was just, that was very much uh, in parallel to the Berenger character in Rhinoceros. And I thought that he was just hilarious. I thought his performance was great. I love how he, he barricaded the doors to the police station with the, the bench, but he, I mean, it was on the, the wrong, wrong side. side. <laughs> well, a, a, it's glass. Yeah. B, it's the wrong side. He's he's barricading it on the push side, which is clearly thing. On top of the fact that all of the windows <laughs> have his own posters on them that say, um, "What are they?" Oh, I got it right on the show notes. Are you in trouble? Are you in trouble? And the best part is about that is he's sitting under his own sign that says, "Are you in trouble?" And in this moment. Carl Weathers is in fact in trouble because he's soiled his pants. <laughs> he's sitting under his own sign of which he's exactly. soiled his pants. Um, I guess I was just wondering because I noticed in the AV Club review with that, you know, the reference to the play, they talked about it being a um, it's like an allegory to fascism, apparently that play um, yeah. and the rise of fascism, I guess. It's just, it is kind of, um, I guess I just thought it was interesting because I, I know Carl obviously was that standout person in terms of being, um, trying to really butt against the wind, the prevailing wind um, in the episode. But I just kind of felt like um, Bear as well did that in terms of his own family and trying sure. to look after Charlie, um, as we'd said, Peggy. I feel like that was like a prevailing theme in the episode of a whole bunch of characters trying to butt against the wind and take a stand for what they believe in. Sure. Um, and, yeah, really trying to, I guess, um, you know, as we'd said with Carl, you know, he talks about being anti-establishment, but it's always that thing of, you know, was he just full of crap, you know? Was he just all talk and, and no act, you know, no action? And we could see in the episode he did finally took a bit of it. Obviously, he's inebriated, so that's part of it as well. But <laughs> he was able to stand up for what he truly believed in and when he needed to do it. And that's, yeah, um, yeah I feel like that's a prevailing theme in the episode with a few of the characters. Even Simone, who calls upon, um, I forgot God, my sense of names today. Mike, that's it. She's calling upon Mike to to do the thing to her to her own father. I mean, Jesus, you know. I feel like that that's a prevailing theme. You know, she's sick of taking his crap. You know, he's mm-hmm. supposed to be it. He's supposed to be her father, but at times even I've had to question like whether that's whether he really is. It's just he mistreats her, and it's just so out of line in terms of what a father should be to his own daughter that. 
you know, um, she's taking her own stand. Even though she's getting someone else to do the 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 legwork, she's finally had enough, and she's getting Mike to go. Well, yeah, off him. Yeah, and I kind of I, felt the same way um, about the the Jabberwocky reference. I thought that kind of played into each. Um, so when when we're, when you're referencing Simone and how she's talking to Mike on that phone call, and Mike immediately goes into that Jabberwocky poem. Um, that poem is you know about slaying this Jabberwocky monster essentially, and and like going up against a a massive beast. And I thought that that um, I thought that that theme also portrayed or also went in parallel with a lot of the characters we have. Her against her, we have Simone against her father. We have the uh, Kansas City versus the Gerhards. We have, um, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, we have, <laughs> I was just going to let you hang Bear. out there. <laughs> we have Carl versus Bear. Oh, that. On the, in the outside standoff, we have yeah. um, Hank versus Dodd. You got Bear versus Dodd early on in the show? Yep. Bel- Belter the Strap. Belt, buckle of the strap. I'm sorry. Yeah, belt, belt buckle. Jesus. Mm. Hey, can I can I just say really quick uh, to on top of um every season of Fargo, all two, <laughs> all two of them has has actually had a midwesterner on the show, and Rachel Keller uh, is the midwesterner on the show this year, and Rachel Keller is who 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 plays Simone, and she's doing a bang up job. It's awesome, and I know she's been on a couple other podcasts doing it, and I look forward to seeing more of her work and I'm always happy to see a native Midwesterner um, getting on shows. So she's, she, and she's from St. Paul. She's from St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, the same okay. way. Yeah. I mean the same way that last year, Tom was from yes. uh, Valley city or was he from Jamestown? I'm sorry. I forget Tom. Tom probably Musgrave. isn't listening, but yeah. if you are Tom Musgrave, if you're listening, thanks again for coming on the show last year who played Bo Monk. But I just love the fact that there are native Midwesterners on the show. Absolutely. doing what they do and i love the fact that i guarantee you rachel doesn't sound that midwestern in real life <laughs> i have no idea where that came from sorry <laughs> yeah no that's cool carmela being that you uh referenced the av club article what is your thought on uh because a major theme of that article article because i read it as well oh yeah 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 the fact that about. hank larson after he awoke from being knocked out on peggy's doorstep never he he wakes up and he doesn't even think to go check on her, even though Dodd's vehicle is still in the driveway and something clearly went down and he just kind of leaves the scene. Is there an explanation for that or is it because of his head injury? Ooh. Can I, can I, I'll, I'll assert one other thing because I want to hear Carmel talk about this is that, um, yeah. Do you, do you ever notice though that I think Noah Holly and, and the people who do this make do a good job of not retelling parts of a story we don't need to hear because we know they're happening. We yeah. didn't actually hear Peggy tell anything to Hank earlier. There's some stuff and she avoids it, but how did they get from the kitchen to the couch? They didn't have to show it to us. It happens. So I'm wondering if a little bit of that and feel free to uh, uh, elaborate yeah. on this, Carmela, or yeah. tell me I'm fucking bananas. Um Ooh. But I'm saying, yes, he wakes up there. The other, the cars are still there, right, Sharpie? Is that what you're talking about? Well, it's got, I mean, Dodd's car is going to be there. Yeah, yeah, the truck. The truck is still there. Or we, because the, the, now, army, I need, now I need to go grab it and be like, was it there? All we saw was him in his car. It wasn't a wide shot, was it? Maybe the car was gone. Okay. You, 
Carmel, I want you to elaborate, and I'm Ooh. going to roll video back while we talk live. Respond to Sharpie. <laughs> yeah. And his um, craziness. Guess, yes. In terms of when I watched the show, um, when I caught up on the sh- on the episode and saw that bit, I'd assumed he'd done it. He'd gone in there and checked, and they just didn't want to show it. Um, I know that. Um, uh, having looked, it's really interesting actually reading the debate and the discussion following that AV Club article. Mm-hmm. And um, so some have posited that idea that, yes, um, Noah just didn't want to retell what we, you know, he didn't want to show that because that would be assumed that he would do that. But I like the theory that someone had mentioned in, in, that, um, in the comments about um, procedurally, like whether it's actually appropriate for him, given that he's concussed, um, to actually be in a state to be investigating Peggy's whereabouts and potentially jeopardising himself and her in his, con- you know, obviously concussed and dazed state, trying to find her when he's getting a call on the radio, you know, saying that the station's being, you know, attacked. Um, in terms of procedurally, perhaps, I mean, I don't know what police officers' codes are in terms of how they see fit to prioritise um, certain matters over others, but it may have been that he chose to prioritise the getting to the station and, or at least checking that Lou was all right in terms of handling things back at the station, um, given that potentially their whole station was being attacked and there was numerous staff there at risk. Um, and and that's even in his day state, but as yeah, it's a tr- it's a tricky one. Um, I didn't see it as a plot hole though. Like I didn't, it didn't kind either. of feel incongruent when I watched it. I was like, either he'd done it, you know. I kind of thought, or maybe he checked, or maybe he saw fit to prioritize what was being told to him on the radio over checking for Peggy, um, because that was the more important issue. Right. I think there's plenty of scenarios um, that uh, to which you've illustrated that give enough benefit of the doubt to basically say that this is not like an issue. It's not a problem. It's not an oversight. It's not a it's not a hole um, because, yeah, it could be. I mean, she's definitely very defensive um, of her and Ed. And maybe if he was dazed, would you want to, to put yourself into a confrontation uh, where you are uh, susceptible to some sort of harm, like maybe she could come after him and attack him. Um, he's not in a state to really defend himself. No, I just think it's a movie. I just think it's a screw up. You think it's a screw up? I okay, okay. Here I am, reporter Bill. Back. I've been listening to you both the whole time. Yeah. If you <laughs> buy the show on iTunes with Sharpie and I do, which is how we do some of our breakdowns. There you go. We watch live, then we we purchased the show so we can download at, at 34 seconds, at least on the iTunes version. Uh, the cars are pulled up outside the house. There are two cruisers directly in front of the Blomquist house, right? Yeah. Two cruisers. So one of them obviously has to leave because it's um, Hank and Lou, right? Hmm. Agreed. Hmm. Well, eventually at 21, 23 seconds is when the, other cars pull up after Lou has left with Ed and they're on the couch having their chat, Hank and Peg. 
At 21-23, they pull up, and three cars pull up in front of the house. No, no patrol or cop cruiser of any sort is in front of the house. It is three. It's the truck and two bad guy sedans. So where the hell has this cruiser gone? And then oh. at thirty eight, then at thirty eight forty, when he wakes up, he's back somewhere. Kind of presumably, you don't ever get a lot of context to where he is. Pulled up in front of the house. So could he have moved it? Here, here's what I guess I would come to. Mm. It's much ado about nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that after I just researched it, because guess what? Does it change the story? No. Well, okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and say ah, it. I- we don't need it because Peg has to be somewhere with Dodd. Okay, here, hmm. here's where we're coming to the crux of the issue. Peg has to be somewhere with Dodd and either kill him, have Ed show up with another body on his hands with his wife who fucking yeah. messed somebody up again. And deep down, she just wants to go to her wellspring, think spring, actualize yeah. herself thing in Sioux Falls, which is where all the bodies are supposedly supposed to pile up, according yeah. to Lou Salverson, season one, Fargo, right? Is right. that where we're all trying to get? We're all trying to get that. Yes, yeah. I'm just forcing us there. Past the Jabberwocky. But that said, feel free everybody to go back through the show and realize that, yes, the car has either been moved to the side or the back of the house. Mm. I mean, maybe maybe when that happened. We're making cop assumptions. We don't know. Uh, Maybe it's just a coincidence that that bit of it has been highlighted by the AV Club. Um, I also didn't. I also didn't read that article, so I. That's yeah. that's why I'm I'm playing the devil's advocate, yeah. and and, yeah, yeah. and Matt Matt had brought um, it up. I'm sorry, Sharpie had brought it up before the show. I just yeah, told yeah. them my real name again. Don't tell them my real name. <laughs> I guess the point. The I guess what I'm. You know, it's occurred to me as we've been talking about it because you you know you guys had mentioned before Peggy's comment around, you know, the oh well we don't make decisions in a vacuum. Well, oh no. Yeah. Well, you know, um, and I know that, um, like, when I heard that comment, I could totally get what she was getting at because it's like there are, you know, everyone does have, like, brain fart moments, you can call them, um, where, you know, all sent, you, you don't necessarily act logically and, you know, to point in every, obviously, in every situation. Obviously, we're talking about very extreme situations here. Um, so it's in, you know, with um, with Hank waking up and not thinking of Peggy or whatever, thinking of Peggy and we just don't see it. I mean, it doesn't, as you said, it, it doesn't really matter that much. I don't imagine most people would have even batted an eyelid at it. And... We can kind of appreciate it at least from what Peggy said around, you know, talking about making decisions, you know, that we don't make decisions in a vacuum, that there there's pressures on all fronts with these people and their situations that can sometimes create seemingly when you look at it as an outsider, illogical decision-making decision processes. But that's okay. Like it happens and we've all been in situations where we don't make the most sound logical choices, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's what I'm wondering. That's what's happened here. It may have been well that he didn't, maybe he didn't go and check for Peggy because he's concussed and he's hearing this thing on the radio. They're going, oh, the station's being attacked. He didn't even, it didn't even occur to him. He's just straight on to that. And that's quite. Yeah, for all we know, he was like, she's dead. Perhaps, Mm -hmm. yeah. Good, good luck in the pyramid of horror that she's created in the basement. Yeah, I know. I mean, he knew there was a whole bevy of men outside the house that he greeted, you know, 
on the way that we're mm. looking to find her. So, yeah, it's um, you know, it's a subjectivity of human human beings, really. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just well, I was really surprised when that came up as a main point in the article, frankly, because it was just not the first thing that came to mind for me. I saw in, I think it might have been Entertainment Weekly's yeah. write up. Any did any of you see anything about the whole thing about like oh well they're on this road and they drove the other way and Hansi went one way chasing Ed as he ran off like Sharpie called him the rabbit which I think is strong. Um, I I'm like he, he, I'm like spot on with the whole he, he, coming coming back to the way we live here. I mean these roads that they're on. I don't. I think he was just rolling around trying to figure out what's going on because they knew that. They're like, well, why is he driving there to pick him up? And why didn't he turn and go the other way if Ed ran the other way? And all I thought was they know where they are just like everybody else. And they're like, Tur I don't know if Sharpie will, will tell you this. I don't know if any of these people have ever tried to turn around on a pseudo country road through the woods. Mm. And especially when it's a, a wet slash snowy time of year, sometimes it's just easier to keep going. And like what I would say would be find an approach. Right? Right, yeah. Find an approach, which is just a, a, a big, for those who don't know, is a big uh, point of entry into a field or part of something where there's no ditch, no low-lying level area with water in it. They build up the road so you can drive across it. And I was like, when they drove away, I was like, oh, that's fucking normal shit. And everyone else is like, what? They must be something they knew. And I, for me, as a Midwestern, I was, and I was like, yeah, but I saw something about that. And I was like, Oh, you're obviously not from here. <laughs> I mean, and I don't think Noah's from here either, but it happened. I would have thought it's because his father-in-law's got a, con a huge lump on his head and he's got a concussion that needs to be tended to immediately. I would have thought that might have been a priority over trying to run after this guy that it's like, he, he they know. Who's obviously they not know athletic. There's several converging parties on them and they can get other people to pursue it. It's not like um, him and Peggy mm -hmm. have got, Oh, you know, <laughs> they haven't got a ton of options. Yeah, it's not to like run Ed's a marathon runner, and I don't think Egg and Ed I don't and think Peggy Egg, are, Ed and Peggy are um, very difficult, um, very difficult suspects to track suspects down. Suspects to track down. <laughs> <laughs> we know where they're. We know what they're their interests that, are. They're not. And that, one of those interests just burned to the ground. Yeah. They're not that. Right. They're not that. Uh, right. They're not like. Uh, they're, they're not like uh, danger to the public. Danger to the public. No, they're uh, not. They're not hardened uh, criminals. We're talking no. about civilians. No. I mean, I'm not underestimating that either. But at the same time, well, they're in this position to start with, and they never bothered to flee. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just kind of felt like, yeah, I didn't even, again, didn't think anything of that either because it was like he's probably getting, his, you know, not just his um, co-worker but also father-in-law tended to because that can be concussions are serious. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, we haven't even gotten back to the fact that, you know, UFOs, um, rye, who's high on cocaine, gets sprayed in the face with bug spray and blah 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 and mm. and all, all those things but i don't you know you talk about a concussion who's in their right mind and we uh, this was the first what i would consider I'm, I'm just i'm putting a jarring point in the middle of our podcast of um this was the first very obviously not no mention in my 
opinion of like subtle mention or a little tweak to throw out to a UFO? Um, or did you catch one somewhere that I missed? I I mean, no. This would definitely be the weakest reference. But when when they pick up Ed at the very beginning of the show and they put him in the cruiser and okay. they show the cruiser driving down um, one of the roads and there's another car going past. It really, I don't think it has anything to do with the car going past, but there is a lens flare that happens on the camera that creates dots that go into the sky. So you, see, sure. you, get, you get the flare from the headlights of the vehicle because it's nighttime and it does create sure. these sort of like greenish, bluish lights that pass over the road. I don't know if that's a UFO reference or if it's just simply a lens flare, but Has, ha- because there were no other references to UFOs, that's going to be mine for this, this episode because we've had a reference every single episode up until now. That's been fairly obvious. I didn't, I didn't turn back to verify this, but I'm going to give uh, a little prop shout out to Ruben again about how when um, I'm thinking about uh, the, the coloring and the UFO and the photo or in the, in the, in the, coloring thing that Molly saw young Molly Solverson was doing um that she's drawing like a rooster but at some point I thought I heard he he had mentioned Ruben had mentioned that 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 at the previous episode that uh, Hank had called it a rhinoceros I think just alluding to the next episode which if if that is true hot hot tip nice hot work tip. nice but um I didn't notice that I also read some conspiracy theory on um Good old high as a kite, Rye Gerhardt was actually looking up and seeing a reflection of that Mylar balloon that um, that she found. Uh, or was it get well get well soon? Like well it was soon, just yeah. lights. It was just lights reflecting off lights. After, but that still doesn't explain the gas station thing. Um, the strong topics. I really do feel the strong topic that Sharpie and I talked about early on about the actual UFO sighting by a a law enforcement officer in in this in the late seventies, um, that that took place and all and all that and and it's just it's it's a I mean it just might be a, like a rolling rolling commentary on uncertainty and um sure. understanding of the way the world is working in a weird way and technology yeah. and, and and stuff mm-hmm. and um so so anyway that's yeah. You know what? Here, I'm just going to use this as the break for our second sponsor break because I just I just made things weird. <laughs> so we want to we we have a we have a a great thing going on with Audible.com this year that that we're hoping some of you are going to take advantage of. Um, if you go to Audible Trial, that's a u d i b l e t r i a l dot com slash Fargo talks Fargo. You can go to Audible and get signed up for a free 30-day trial. And, and when you sign up, you get a free credit for a book. And uh, Sharpie and I have been making references all season long to books that we've actually either read and or purchased through Audible. Quite a few have been through Audible, right, Sharpie? Uh, yep, all of them. Yeah, because you make long drives to and from Fargo, from Fargo to the Denver Boulder area. Um, but and, and so this isn't that this is what I love about what we're, we're doing is that these aren't these aren't any kind of like crazy endorsements these are things we do we, i'm i mean mm-hmm. i feel like no one can see my if it's like raise your hand if you're a paid audible subscriber my hand is raised i know sharpie is raised they don't we're, we're trying to help get paid for helping advertise them but <laughs> regardless of how well this ad does or doesn't do 
I'm still going to do it, you know? So go there, go to audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo and sign up and you'll get a free book. We've been making recommendations all season. If you haven't had a chance to take take advantage of one of these, you got to do it. And this week, uh, it is Sharpie's turn because I, I think I stole two weeks in a row on Sharpie by accident. I think you did. So I got I to gotta throw it to Sharpie and he is going to make a recommendation for a book that you can get with your free credit. And even if you don't like it, I have to say, if you don't like it at any point, you can cancel your subscription and the books are still yours to keep. You can download them, re-listen to them, finish listening to them, whatever you do. The minute you cancel, it's not like your book disappears. They're like way cooler than that. But if you are a Amazon Kindle reader, if you're reading the book and doing it, which they have some great deals between the two, they have whisper sync. So if you're reading at night, uh, you're sleeping in bed, you've got a significant other, and then the next day you're driving in your car and you want to hear it, it will know where you left off and will start playing. It's fantastic. Sharpie, what is your recommendation for audible.com? My recommendation is not a new book uh, by any means. It's actually a quite popular book, so there's a good chance you have read it. Um, but if you haven't, or if you haven't listened to it, but maybe perhaps you have read it and and you want to listen to it, uh, to sort of refresh your memory, and there's a reason why I'm I'm suggesting this book. Uh, it's The Man in the High Castle by P.K. Dick. Now, you might know P.K. Dick from Blade Runner. Who fame. what? Philip K. Dick. Oh, okay. Um, the Man in the High Castle is a book. Uh, with, it's really interesting because it's based off of real world events, uh, but as if they you know happen differently so this is about as if the allies lost world war ii so it's a it takes place in 1962 in an america that is now occupied by nazi germany and so it's sort of an interesting twist on history and it just goes throughout um it goes throughout a time in which that you know was a possibility and and what would have happened after that after the United States and the Allies lose World War II. So it's about that. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it's very, it's entertaining. The reason why I recommend it is because it's actually, I think this week on Amazon Prime, it's, uh, it comes out as a series if, uh, if you got Amazon Prime. So not, not that that's like a, not trying to plug Amazon Prime or we're not getting paid for them for any reasons, but I, I saw that it was coming out and I was like, oh, that's a good one people should freshen up on. So check it out. The Man in the High Castle. Uh where do we want to go now that we've we've you know, hopefully Carmela has not like dozed off into a um Sucrets Halls um throat lozenge sleepy time tea coma. <laughs> oh there she is. <laughs> oh thank God. No, I was just trying to research something, that's all. So the okay, bringing it back, the Gerhardts versus Kansas City really kicks off with this phone call with Simone and Mike Milligan. Oh, you want me to play this, don't you? Um, you could. I think this is what's interesting about this is that Simone feels like she has a friend in Mike Milligan when Mike Milligan is clearly just using Simone as a pawn in, in this larger picture. Um, and I feel like Simone is sort of living somewhat of a a fantasy life you know she's a she's a young kid she's growing up in the 70s in this scene in the in a scene where she, in the scene where she's talking to him on the phone she makes two references to popular culture at the time first she she makes a fa- a reference to a family affair which is 
very brief and it's basically her talking about um you know how dodd is not even close to a father and she doesn't think of him that way um so she makes a, a reference to the sitcom family affair and then she says kiss my grits you know a reference to alice uh to f- in wonderland oh you want me to just play it real quick well, well um, um i think, think the, the fact, fact that, that she's making these popular culture references so rapidly kind of shows a little bit of her naivety uh, maybe ignorance or maybe the fact that she's just growing up being raised by popular culture and by um art and media and television and radio and music and not by her father and that's what's getting her into this sticky situation because she's in the real world and she's not realizing she's just a pawn in mike milligan's grand scheme and so she hangs up and basically tells mike milligan to you know kill her father and mm. and when he asks if he has any last words for her father she just says hey man kiss my grits tell him that and she checks out and she's not un- she's not really realizing that her role is now kind of done she's just being used for information no disagree I- carmela do you have any- <laughs> do you agree or disagree i mean i guess it's part of her sorry pardon me got no horse again no worries. um yeah she's not she's she's not she thinks she's more worldly than she actually is um and yeah most definitely i think mike is obviously taking advantage of that situation but i mean i don't know it's interesting that for a guy who doesn't seemingly care about her he cares about her enough to actually say to her and ask and go what do you want me to tell your your father before i kill him (laughs) i mean if he didn't really care at all he wouldn't even bother to ask that's true I, i think she's i think she's yes naive but I don't completely believe that she is just raised by the television. I think she's young. I think that's all it really is. I, sure. I chalk it up to the fact that she's young yeah. and doesn't know and is trying to play both sides of the game that most mutually benefit her. Um, but I also think this is an important scene to talk about Floyd real quick. I mean, it really is honestly important is that prior to the shooting starting in the kitchen, is that um, we talked about this in the hot dish. We talked about it before. Grandma knows. You know what I mean? She sees. She understands. Yep. And and she's cutting through the bullshit of Bear. She's cutting the bullshit of Dodd. She's cutting through Hansi's bullshit. And that's why she's pulled her aside in front of the kitchen sink to, to, to attempt to empower her to like, hey, I know you're forging your own path. I know you're doing your thing. Pick a side and be strong and i'm i'm guessing she's wanting her to pick the side where she's saying look here i am I, i'm here to support you um so i don't i don't know if i buy that she's like just a pawn completely okay i just think she's i just think she's young okay you know what i mean like stupid is stupid is almost mm. different than naive i'd actually almost rather be stupid than naive like oh fuck i screwed that up like damn what the hell did i do that for you know um so I, th- I think that that I think that's important to think. I don't think she's going to play a major part in any thing to to, to like some huge level of the storyline. I think that she's not done yet. I think who who knows? She may be the only one left standing when this whole thing's over. Once the quote unquote bodies are piled <laughs> up, 
as deep as you can, whatever. But just saying, I, I, let's go into Mike I'll, Milligan's uh, Jabberwocky. I, I'll I'll play it. I I think I've got it fired up to a different spot than you're looking. Oh, okay. Looking for, but here's what I can say. Dad called me a whore, right? Oh. And Mike says, "Well, here's the thing: <laughs> is it, 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 it like it, it seems like an innocuous statement where Mike is saying." Well, you kind of are a whore, but the minute she asserts herself back, do you notice he stops? Okay, yeah, sure. He's he stops just short of calling her a slut yeah. or a whore and says, yeah. "Okay, never." You know yeah. what? And, and it's almost as if to say, if all you're gonna do is use your body and sex and your finger slash thumb, <laughs> that's what people are gonna do. It's almost as if a little bit for me, Mike Milligan is saying sack up <laughs> poor phrase there sorry sure. like own up do it be smarter you're more than your body you're more than this because even without that i don't think well mike's mike milligan's the kind of guy who wants to know what you want to say to your dad before you kill him but i'm gonna play this right now All right <clears throat> this better be state secret level information they all left who all dad and beer and maybe half a dozen Going. He called me a whore. Oh, well, darling, technically. It's my body. I got every right. Of course you do. We're in full agreement, you and me. A beautiful body, and you can do what you want with it. But right now, I need you to tell me. Your dad and the others, where are they headed? They're going to that town in Minnesota, where the judge... Laverne. Yeah. Laverne. And I want you to... You're gonna... Get the hell out of here. Did I lose you there, sweetheart? You're gonna kill him for me. You're dead. He's not... Ozzy was a dad on the TV shit. Mr. French is more of a... How long ago did they leave? Just... Uh, maybe half an hour ago. Took a whole army, almost. Okay, baby. Any last message for your dad? When I see him? Yeah. Tell him. Kiss my grits. I just love that she ended with kiss my grits. I don't know why. Just do. <laughs> Am I? I'm probably the only one who remembers that, like actually being on TV. Are you both too young? I'm assuming you both are. Yes. Was that that wasn't on the air for you, Sharpie? Right? Nope. It, it, not even in rerun. Carmela? Or, well, no. I'd wondered where it came from actually, because I wasn't sure. Mm. I hadn't had a chance to figure that out. But but either way, Al Alice was. A, TV series that was a that actually started the year I was born. I was born in I was born in seventy six, uh, and it ran through eighty five. So I mean, so, so I mean, I remember watching this TV show run. So I've heard the phrase "Mel kiss my grits" like in real time while my folks are watching TV. Um, and I posted it to our Twitter page. So if you don't follow us, check it out there, and you can find the thing. But that that's what it's a reference to is yeah. the the in 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 this that Mel Kiss My Grits thing happened in season one. So that happened in 76 then. Um, 
which is hilarious because so that yeah i mean so that would mean it happened around the time that somebody like simone was like 14 years old yep going back to this i mean like talking about the the stuff mike milligan said in this um tying back to a little bit of what i'm thinking is that he he she she was complaining to him about they called me a whore eventually and she's like it's in my it's it's my and the minute he starts to say well you know what you are she she cuts him off and says it's my body and and he says that's where he stops and i think even mike milligan goes you know what you're right we're in agreement it's your body you can do what you want to do yeah but deep down he's like i need to extract information I'm gonna kill your dad, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> and that's where we, that's where we end up. He's a morally minded criminal. Oh yeah, I think you're right, and with with an incredible meter, and it, to his tone and inflection of voice, he's he's the Jabberwocky scene is incredible. And you think he's saying that because he's he's referring to the Gerhart the Gerharts as the Jabberwocky, and he's gonna go slay them. Because I don't think like the Gerhards would don't seem to be like this giant monster, really. I mean, they're really the big, the big dog in this game. I I wonder whether it's Dodd because I wonder yeah. at the conversations that they've both had um, that maybe they're not again they're conversations that we're not privy to that we hadn't you know they're not going to show them, but we know that those two obviously have some kind of a bond, and I wonder whether he's you know she's. We talk about him using her, but she's made use of him as a an outlet to talk about her frustrations dealing with her father, um, which is why he, you know, that that could be why he asks her, you know, what am I, what what should I say to him before I kill him? Um, Here's the big question we haven't asked: mm. How the fuck did those two hook up? <clears throat> That's what I wanted to. <laughs> like. We weren't introduced to Mike Milligan until I don't know where in the series, you know, like, and, and we thought he was just popping into town, but obviously they'd been doing their homework long enough that he figured out he needed to court this young, impressionable woman in the Gerhardt family. Like, that's that's what I'm still thinking about. Mm, it's probably Tinder. I, I was going to say, it's a bit like Lorne in season one with the dentist thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what? <laughs> what kind of long game is this? <laughs> yeah. Well, that dentist scene also brought us a thumb up the butt. Uh, yeah, the thumb up the uh, butt. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know where we. I don't know where we go from here. We've we've got ha- quote unquote back to another one. Hansi's on the hunt. Um, yeah. Lou and Hank are doing their own thing. We mm. know that at some point things need to pile up in Sioux Falls. Uh, Ed is endlessly chasing the shittiest dream of his life. <laughs> Peg's Peg is trapped in a museum of Ed's life. Doesn't want it. Constance wants to. We don't know if she'll come back into the picture. Uh, Carl Weathers is awesome, and I pray. Uh, pray is not the right word. That he. No, I mean that that this gets nominated for something. Ah. This this episode was kind of a, a bridge, I think. It, it's a bridge between the previous and the next episode. There weren't a lot of resolutions in this episode, but it was very entertaining. Um, and there was a lot of... Uh, there was a, some great character development. There was some great action. 
no resolution, um, but still entertaining regardless. And it makes me excited for the next episode. I also think this is this this is the first episode where even more for me that we've seen um Patrick uh really rock it as Lou. Take yeah. charge, take command, no shit, no bullshit. I'm not afraid to jump out of a window, I'm not afraid to escape you from this place. It's you know, there's there was some talk online about it's it's paralleling a, a western scene and all this, but either way, Patrick Wilson, right? his name Patrick Wilson um I think all season long has been as solid or even more solid than uh Keith Carradine last year anyone else want to wrap up any other ideas concepts craziness um talk about Sharpie's tie he's wearing tonight um anything I liked one of the (laughs) I liked one (laughs) this is just um, a random type of a sort of random thing, but um, I really liked one of the comments from it wasn't from the AV article for this episode. I think it was for the last one that talked uh-huh. about Mike and Hansy actually being in cahoots with each other, which I thought was the mm. the most far out theory. <laughs> really, <laughs> like the idea that they're pulling these two parties against each other and having them wipe each other out so that that way they could like unite and actually you know take over um yeah which i thought was a really funny theory um another one was also hmm? it would be great to see a massive twist like that yeah i thought that was just you know that was just people being wacky on the internets and going hey let's just throw this theory out there. I also read an interesting one about Bear potentially being the mob boss from season one who's eating the fish. Someone had mentioned that too. Oh, my God. Think about bears eating, like, salmon in a stream. Mm. (laughs) You know, that's actually, oh, that's brilliant. I it, yeah. And even if it's not the same, the fact that they 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 know how they're planting these ideas in our head, they're they're not. This isn't beyond them. But. Well, because you got to think of who's left of the Gerhardt family. I mean, who knows? Maybe Bear might be one of the last parties standing, or one of the few parties standing after he, all said and done. Because he's he is the most rational. Yeah, I mean, despite not seeming like it at the beginning. Um, I think that was the whole point that they wanted to show him out to seemingly not be, and yet he is. Like him and Floyd are like the most logical people in that family. I'm I'm starting to wonder if at the end of this, the only people standing outside of Lou and a couple of random folks are the women. Ed's dead. There you go. There's my early prediction that I'll have to eat later. Ed'll be dead, uh, but Pe- Peg will be alive. Unfortunately. Just in a small twist, we know that um, Betsy will be dead, but Molly will be alive along with her father. Hank will be dead. Hank will be dead, which crushes me. God, I love Ted Danza so much. Um, Dodd's definitely going to be dead. I think we're going to cheer when that happens. Yeah. Because I loved it when he got a let- when he got cattle prodded. That was that felt so good, actually, because he's just been such right? a... And, and when, when that, that happened... happened- I thought, I thought that, that was, was a super clever way of of getting that cattle. Not really, it wasn't necessarily clever, but I liked how they didn't make it so blatantly obvious about how Peg got that cattle prod. 
because he's squeezing through her magazines and at that point the cattle prod just becomes like this nuisance because he's got a gun in one hand and this big stick in the other and and he just ends up setting it on the magazines and it falls to the floor but this happens in the shadows so it's very easily missed um and i, I mm-hmm. don't think i don't think i'm not saying most people missed it i'm just saying that it's easily missed it wasn't like very blatant. oh i watched it happen yeah but it wasn't like blatant in the sense of like they camera pans over to the cattle prod as he sets it down or, or yeah as he and he leans it into the corner by the wall no it wasn't it that it wasn't that it, it was it, it it wasn't the focal point of the uh of the shot which i thought was great all right well well carmel thank you so much for coming on we know you're you, you've been under the weather and you, you've been traveling during the show you've been in london you're back home in australia um but we appreciate your coverage of the show we appreciate you coming back on the show um and uh so for those looking to follow and check out what you're doing they can go to fxfargo.tumblr.com and check it out or they can follow you on twitter at at fxfargo right yes Did i say that yeah. right Great. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Yeah, um, I appreciate you um, bringing me on the show again. Um, yeah, it's um, been great. Thank you so much. Thanks for saving it up, and thanks for coming on the, coming on the show. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun having you. We really appreciate your time. Yes, yes very much. Great. So. Thank you. It's, it's it's fun talking to you guys. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. So. Sharpie, until uh, next week, and hopefully we'll have. I yeah, I already mentioned it. We're hopefully we're gonna have a special episode or two coming up and another guest mm-hmm. uh so and that will be we'll see what happens because oh yeah yeah so good times all right so then thanks carmel thanks, thank carmel. you